Okay, this morning we'll be in First uh, Peter chapter two, probably starting at about verse oh thirteen or so. But before I before I start that, I want to ask a question: Are you excited about heaven? Yes. You know, there's so much talk about uh, different things, uh, the things that are going on. People, obviously, without any knowledge of God, are consumed with what's going on. You can't, you can't really blame them because it's it's always in our face. But for the Christian, the one that's been born again, the one who has answered the call of God through the gospel, we have a different mindset. Although we're faced with the same. Uh, onslaught, if you will, of, of things that happen every day. Um, you know, if, if you were still dead and your sins and lost, you would still be facing what you're facing today. But what Christian is a different mindset. We're always called to be transforming our mind, changing our mind to the will of God. And I, I wanted to uh, bring up just a few points because I am deliberately taking... The, the time, and because I feel that this first chapter, or these epistles, are so packed, we dare not go too fast to miss them. There's a couple things I wanted to point out. I found eight different points in just the verses 9 and 10 uh, of the first chapter of Peter. Now remember, Peter has spent the whole first chapter talking about the glorious hope of being elected, of being uh, blessed abundantly. Uh, and our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only that we're saved, how do we know that we're saved? But our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead puts away all argument. All argument. Jesus is the Savior of all mankind. His rising from the dead bodily and sending of the Father eliminates all argument. But let's put that home about me. I know I'm saved. I know I can completely, says in verse 13, I can completely put my hope, my hope fully, arrest it completely, if you will, on the grace that is to be brought to me because of Christ raising from the dead. I know that I was bought and born again, not with corruptible things, we find it in the first chapter, chapter, verses 22 and 23. Not of things that the world can afford. I was, I was redeemed with nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. His life, death, burial, and resurrection on my behalf, bar none, is why I'm saved. And we know that to be true from the Savior himself. He wasn't questioning his father. He was making a statement that is impossible to be saved any other way when he was in the garden. And he said, Father, if there is any other way, think about this, any other way, let this cup pass from me. And we know from the word of God, the fulfillment of, of what he did for us, that there was no other way. Jesus had to go to the cross. And we're going to see some marvelous passages today. Wow. 
So eight points. So I see in verse 9, go to First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Here's where I wanted to start today. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Death is always associated with darkness. Life is always associated with light. Jesus said, you must be mistaken. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Henceforth, when Jesus said in John 5, 24, that we have passed out of death into life, we put all these things together. We know that we are born again by Nothing less than Jesus' shed blood for us is rising from the dead, and our faith in Him and Him alone bar none. So we're to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Look at verse 10. Once we're not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Verse 11, I beg you as soldiers, or excuse me, sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from flesh of lust, which, which wage war against the soul. I want to start out with eight points up until the time that we're starting this morning, what we have. Number one, we're a chosen generation. <laughs> we're no longer the... Uh, the man or the, the child or the woman or what have you that gets left out because they quote-unquote aren't good enough. They quote-unquote just doesn't make the grade. You know? They don't have as good a teeth as other people. They can go on with all these things. We're a chosen generation. Number two, this is fantastic. We are a royal priesthood. You know what that means? We have unlimited access to God. And if that weren't enough, our high priest is ever making intercession for you. Remember the tabernacle? They have priests that did the services, but they had the high priest that went into the, the Holy of Holies once a year. Okay? We are the priests, we are the believer priests that have access to God whenever we choose freely. And yet we also have a high priest which not only is the reason why we have the access, but the one who is standing before the Father on our behalf. Number three, we're a holy nation. We are holy. We're separated. We're not only separated unto God as His possessions, but we're separated in the fact that now we can go out and be the ambassadors, the witnesses. Number four, we are a special people. The King James says a peculiar people which is what really the idea is. Not that we're strange or whatever, but we're peculiar. We're set apart. We're different. And we should be different. We've answered the call. We've received the gift of God and eternal life. We know our Creator. Yes, we are different. We're not... I, I am different from my neighbor. I know my Creator. I know why I've been... Uh, I know why I've been created. I've been created to know God. To enjoy Him, to worship Him, to give Him His due. 
I know why I've been created. Therefore, my life has meaning. It has substance. It has purpose. Number five, I'm now a people, or we are now a people of God. We belong to Him. We've been bought by Him with a great price. And now we're admonished to glorify Him in our body and our spirit, which are God's. We're now a people that we that we can we can be and fulfill what we were created for. Number six, we've we have now obtained mercy. Think about that. Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is somebody acting on our behalf purely because they love us. Purely because they see us in a position of helplessness and hopelessness, and mercy opens the floodgate of God, floodgate of God's grace to come in. <clears throat> Number seven, we are now sojourners. We're pilgrims. We are not. Our home is not on a sinking ship anymore. <laughs> Think about that. Your unsafe friends or your unsafe people, they're dwelling on a place that is that is going to judgment. This earth who, who, who they dwell on, they know nothing more, is reserved for fire and judgment. But not us. But now that now that God looks at us as sojourners, do you? This is not our home. I think of the Titanic because of, of John Harper. This world that the unsaved live in and dwell in and set their hope, it's like the Titanic. It's going down. But we're a sojourner. Now we're a pilgrim. We have a heavenly home. The best that unsaved people can do is hope. And that's not biblical hope. I'm talking about unsaved people. The best they do is hope they'll end up in a better place. They hope that, you know, well, God will be merciful to me because I did a lot more good than I did bad. What about the people that have lived uh, in, in desecration all their life? They have no hope. But we as Christians, we have biblical hope, confidence that we have a dwelling place that that is going to be eternal in the heavens, that is reserved. How much more personal can God get? It's reserved in heaven for you. God reserved that place that will never fade away for you. Because we're pilgrims, sojourners. And number eight, my God loves me. He called me out of darkness, and He translated me into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of His love. You remember that story that I told uh, a few times, and this is it. It was the old Indian chief down in somewhere down in South America, whatever. Uh, they were all around the campfire, and he had he had come to Christ. He'd been evangelized and from a savage tribe, and they were all talking about God. And he and he looked up and he says, "I'll tell you about my God." And he took a dry leaf. And he put it in the palm of his hands. Remember this story? And he took a pillar worm and he put the pillar worm on top of this leaf. 
And he took a stick and he put it in the fire and he lit the leaf on fire. And just about as the, as the leaf was going to consume the worm, he grabbed the worm and plucked it out and he said, me, this worm. That's our God. And that's our plight. I want to start out in verse 12, chapter 2 this morning. Now knowing this, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, we talked a little bit about this last week, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We're not going to go over visitation other than the fact that it could be two things all wrapped in one. The day of God's grace is open whereby men must be saved. Or it's talking about the day of Christ's judgment, the day when Christ comes back. Either way, let your light shine before men, Jesus said. Remember Matthew 5, that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. What a far cry that they may see your good works and look at you and say, what a guy. Remember me, you, that worm. Verse 13, therefore, submit. You know what, folks, what submission is? Humility. It's humility. Submit. The wife is called to submit to her husband in humility. The husband is called to submit, and the wife, to submit to Christ in humility. But we're also called to submit ourselves to every ordinance for man, of man for the Lord's sake, whether as to the king as supreme, or to governors, or those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Quite simply, <coughs> that we are not to be lawbreakers. We're not to be lawless. We're not to be anarchists. God has set certain principles that he runs not only society with, but sustains accountability, reliability, sociability, and peaceability. And as ones who submit to God, we submit to these ordinances' sake, and we become those that are humble. Let me tell you, this world is getting more proudful every day. Lawlessness is out every day. But look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, as we read last week, Titus says in Titus 2, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine. Wait a minute. Do you mean to tell me Paul's putting good deeds of doctrine in all the same sense? Yes, he is. Correct doctrine leads to correct living. Correct understanding of the doctrine of Christ leads to correct understanding of not only who God is, but what he expects, what he has done. So with example of good deeds of purity and doctrine dignified, Sound in speech which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Not only opponent earthwise, 
You know, we have a lot of opponents out there. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Paul said, if you desire the godly Christ Jesus, they're going to persecute you. You're going to have persecution. But I believe that he's also speaking here. We have a major adversary. We have a major opponent. And he is constantly, in, in Revelation chapter 12, says he's before the throne of God, accusing us day and night. Now, when we walk blameless, he has not, no validity. Although he will lie and he will accuse, that's what he is. He's the great accuser. He's the accuser of the brother night and day. Does he matter whether it's truthful or not? No. He's going to accuse. But when we walk blameless, we not only show the angels of heaven, but we will ultimately come out. I believe that everything done, every word, everything done on this life will be brought to light. And so when we go back and we see God's going to be glorified on the day of visitation, we walk blamelessly. We want to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to show the world that the validity of, of God coming into the world and dying for my sins does change a life. I am a new creation in Christ. This is the gospel, my friends. We are not hearing that today. Beware. Put to silence the foolish men. Verse 16 says, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. As free. As free men. We know that these, I lifted up two passages, one from Galatians 5, 1, and the other from 6, 14, both from the Apostle Paul. Listen to this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to yoke of slavery. For sin shall not be master or have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. As bondservants of God, and don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. There are so many people out there that use the excuse of either I'm clothed with grace, and after all I'm only human, and, and grace is a, a, a great uh, fire retardant. Or they say that, you know, God hasn't dealt with me that in that area yet. Or, uh, you know, I can't, I can't fully walk in a way that I don't know yet because, again, it hasn't been revealed to me. That whatever the excuse is, Jesus died for your sins. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You were deemed with precious, with precious blood of Christ. Walk that way. Don't be excusing people anymore. We've all had our times of excuses. Stop playing word games with God. Don't use your liberty that Christ, it came at a great price. God gave His Son so that we might be new creatures, that our sin might be forgiven, that we would live that way. In fact, John says in his first epistle, in Him is no sin. We are in Him. And as Paul says, that sin shall not have dominion over you, shall not be master over you. Oh, well, you know, I just wasn't convicted of that. No, the Bible says that sin will not be master over you if you walk in the Spirit.
My pastor taught me how to read the epistles <laughs> as seemed best for him. And I, and I, and I have followed this president for 30 some odd years. First, you, you, it's like, it's like having a big ranch, a big, you buy a bunch of acreage of, of fertile field and farmlands and of woods. You fly over real quick to get an overview of the valleys and the woods and, and, and the layout. But you, you go back and you meticulously you go through it. So we read these epistles of Peter, we see the fervency. We see the fact of a man that once walked the way that a lot of us still do walk. You know, stumbling over themselves and, and doing... But we also see a man that was changed by Christ himself, like we all have been. When he raised again and he was on this earth, how... In zeal and fervency, Peter wanted to see him, but yet sometimes had a tendency to go back. But we see when Jesus Christ ascended, and, and him and the Father sent the Holy Spirit, Peter became a different man. The, the directions of his epistles are the blessings we have. A lot like, if you really look at it, how Paul wrote to the Ephesians. The first three chapters of, of the letter of the Ephesians is, is absolutely our position and our wonderful privilege and duty, or I should say privilege in Christ and what we have. And then the last three chapters of that wonderful letter of Ephesians, now walk this way. I've given you the power to walk this way. Wow. He says in verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the king. This is where I really want to start this morning, looking at what a Christian really should look like and why. Why are we Christians? Because we go to church? Because we have a good understanding of the Bible? You know, there's a lot of atheists out there, folks, that have better understandings of the Bible than you and I combined. Not understandings, but know it. To know the Bible doesn't mean that you know the Bible. Okay? So what is a Bible-believing Christian, one who has been born again, one who knows this is the Word of God? Look at verse 18. Servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear. And we'll get to the meaning of this as we go on. Be submissive. There's that word again. To your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. I don't think there's any of us here that have worked for any length of time that have had Management or government or anything else that is very hard to submit to when they're harsh and they're wrong, they're diabolical and they're 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 not moral. Oh, it's easy to be submissive to the good. When I was in business, I had two or three excellent management people, but I also had probably six or seven non-good management people. It is. We are to be submissive because we know that our ultimate authority comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As we're submissive to the authority of Christ in our lives, we must be submissive 
to the laws as long as they don't contradict God down here. You know, I have had a few Christian employees that that did what they needed to do and, and were always accommodating. They were always punctual. They were always hardworking. They were always honest. I never had to worry about them pilfering. I never had to worry about them stealing. And more importantly, folks, I never had to worry about them stealing from the company in the form of time. If you give an employee an hour lunch, they will take an hour lunch or else they're disobedient and they're not submissive. You see what I'm trying to say? The person that has an hour lunch and takes an hour and a half is stealing that half hour in the form of time from the couple. They're stealing. Have we learned Christ this way? No. So see, being submissive to the master himself is, is of a great benefit to society, of a great benefit to employers, to a great benefit to the, the uh, um, authorities, the police or whatever that, that God has instituted to, to keep an error under control. We're not rebels. Are we that way? Here's one I want to talk about for just a second before I leave this. Are we submissive with our money? That's a big one. Submissive to God with our money. Or do we count it as our own? But look at verse 19. It says, This is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now this is the gateway for the net for the rest of this chapter. The vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. The Bible is replete with the fact that he gave us an example. He was our form. We are to be like him. We are to walk as he walked. In and of ourselves, friends, that's impossible. It is impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, we can do this. With the Holy Spirit, we can walk as He walked. Wives can be loved by their husbands as Christ loved the church. This is only possible by the husband that is abiding in Christ, that are filled with His Spirit. Can you imagine that? Society is benefited because it has citizens that are submissive to Christ. Therefore, they're submissive to the law. Those that are submissive to the law and the law of Christ now that's in our life is the law of love. It's the law of liberty. Those don't commit adultery. Those don't steal from one another. 
Those don't bear false witness. John says this, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. The world knows nothing of this. But at the same time, it marvels when it sees it. <laughs> it marvels when it sees it. I'll show you a good employee, one who knows and reveres and walks with Christ. I'll show you a good husband, one who knows and reveres and walks with Christ. I'll show you a good neighbor, one who walks, reveres, and loves Christ. We could go on. I'll show you a man or woman who doesn't sit for hours on the internet looking at what he does, what he should not ought to look at, one who walks with, reveres, and loves Christ. Need I say more? Because we've been redeemed, not with perishable things, not with things that aren't going to, that have no purpose, but we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. How then should we walk? This is what Peter is, is, is talking about. And we're going to see why. Look at verse 21. For this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin or was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now let me get back to verse 21, these three verses until we, we, we end with these, with these wonderful last two verses of this chapter. Folks, this is dynamic Christian living, but it is, it is normal Christian living. What you see out there is not normal. It is abnormal. This is normal biblical teaching and living. Who better to write this from an aspect of a point of this man ate and lived with Christ for three years, saw things that no human saw before, nor no human will ever see again in a person. We are privileged by having that person within us, living his life through us. These men saw with their eyes, felt with their hands. Look what the Apostle John starts out his letter as. Who we've touched, we've handled concerning the word of life. But when Christ ascended to the Father and the Spirit came down, these were changed men. These were not the same men. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something we go, well, that's a great, that's a great story. No, that happened, that's good for every man and woman. In Jesus Christ, we have the same power, the same spirit that lives in us that the Apostle Peter did. Think about that one. Or the religious Apostle Paul. Some of us might have been great religious people. So was the Apostle Paul. You were more religious than him. Read Philippians chapter 3 and, and, and say to yourself, gee, was I more religious than this man? Yet when the Spirit came and convicted him by Christ himself, he, he said, I count all this religious stuff as rubbish. This was the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle of the risen Christ, one who taught us the doctrine of Christ, again, surrounded by the love of Christ. 
The same spirit that dwelt these men that, that God used to write the New Testament, the same spirit dwells in you and I. That's why this gospel becomes our gospel. Paul said in, in uh, 1 Timothy 1.11 that, that God has entrusted this gospel to his account. Entrusted it. God has entrusted this gospel to our account as well. To carry it on faithfully, truthfully, rightfully. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried three days later. Or he was buried three days later. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. By this you stand. And by this you are saved. The same gospel that these men were entrusted with. With the fruits of rightful living. Is the same gospel we have. And we have a responsibility to pass it on rightfully and truthfully, not slothfully. Some of us are slothful in our lifestyle. I'm sorry. We're slothful. We're lazy. We don't live the character that we could live. We have no excuse. Some of you that are listening to this treat your wives horribly. Some of you listening to this are so full of, of conceit. And so full of arrogance and pride. That you don't allow the word of God to come in and change your life. So that you might be pleasing to God. Who cares if you're pleasing to men? God will take care of that. That's God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to walk in, in Christ, to please Him in all aspects. Remember, those that abide in Christ should walk as He walked. Jesus said, I do all things that please the Father. Not what might please a, a, you know, a pharisaical ear or a religious ear. He does all things that please the Father. So Christ suffered, leaving us an example. We should follow in His footsteps, verse 21. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Listen to this. And Jesus said unto his disciples, you and I, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now in this declaration in Mark's gospel, he said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a, a pledge. We say it and we're done. Oh, wow, at least I got that over with. Okay, let's go on to the next thing. Let me see, i got a bucket list. i got to take care of my eternal life. i got to take care of this. Okay, I came to eternal life. Um, God so loved the world, He gives only God's Son. God, thank you for dying for my sin. Got that over with. Let's go next on my list. That's how a lot of people take it in reality. But the gospel itself is, is just the starting. We are saved, and now we are saved, and God causes us growth in us. It's called progressive or sanctification, that, that day after day, month after month, year after year, God is working a work in our life to conform us to the image of His Son. 
so that we might be fit to proclaim not only the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light, but that we be fit ambassadors, that we be fit representatives of Christ. In verse 22, he said, He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Deceit, guile. Just a little bit of crookedness from the truth. And that's what deceit is. That's what Satan does. Just a little falsity here. Just a little bit, you know, oh, well, I can have a nice eight-ounce glass of water, and uh, you can be killed with half of that uh, glass of water being filled with strychnine, or you can be... Uh, either very deathly sick or killed with a drop of strychnine. Does it really matter? That's what falsity is. It's going away from the truth. Truth was found in his mouth. He committed no sin. He was the truth. Godless men crucified the truth. Godless men beat senselessly the truth. Pulled out hair, nailed to a tree, spit upon, despised the truth. And he didn't. He was the truth. No guile, no, no, no going from the truth at all was found in him. He was sinless. My friends, you're not, and I'm not. But he did it for us. And before we go on, this, let me ask a question. Isn't that enough to make us realize that this institutes a change in life. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, that's just a positional truth. Well, um, you better look at your Bibles. That is a positional truth, but it is ongoing present truth, which the Bible so eloquently bears witness to. Verse 23 says... <laughs> Who, when he was reviled, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. I heard a teaching one time, I believe it was by, uh, by Chuck Smith, I'm not too sure, I, I believe it was by him. But he was, he was doing a study on, on how when Jesus was being crucified, he had the authority to not only stop it, not only to annihilate, destroy, not only to punish, not only to make them pay, and you could go on, the people that were actually crucifying him, the religious leaders that claimed to talk in God's name, yet were the ones that shouted crucify him, but he did not. He did not. Because the Bible said he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 says that they made his grave with the wicked, or with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. None. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
He was submissive. Paul says that he took the form of a bondservant for you and for I. And we are arrogant. We are prideful. We're sinning when we know better. Worst of all, we're sinning when we don't have to. Now, we are never going to reach sinless perfection in this body, this side of heaven. I understand that. And the Bible clearly teaches that. Who are you going to obey? Sin unto death or righteousness unto life, Paul says. It's obedience. It's submissive. And when we learn to be submissive to Him, we become humble. Instead of being filled with vengeance, we are filled with His love. Instead of being filled with angerness and bitterness, we're filled with His love. Instead of hating somebody and wanting to commit malice, we have love. And thus, love is the fulfilling of the law, Paul writes. He committed. He didn't revile. He didn't suffer. Well, look at the, the last part of verse 23. Here's the secret. He committed himself to him who judges righteously to you. Peter's, or uh, excuse me, Paul says in Philippians, because of this, he, is, he has a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He became a bondservant on our, on our behalf. Because he committed himself to him who judges righteously. See, God's going to judge, and he did judge. The cross is a symbol to the world of judgment. The cross is a symbol to the world of sin. And sin needs to be judged. Every adulterer in this land, if he looks at the cross, realizes that he's an adulterer. And that's sin. And Jesus paid for it. The cross. The judgment of this world. The cross is offensive because the cross shows the world they're sinners. And this proudful world does not want to be labeled as sinners in needing of redemption, let alone they're going to be judged. Judge me? Need redemption me? When you have the pervasing influence today is fear this. I'll tell you whom to fear, Jesus said. Don't fear him who kills the body, and after that they have no more else they, they can do. Here's what I'll tell you to fear. Fear him who's after he's killed the body has authority over who gets cast into hell. But look at verse 24. I want to point out the words who and his in this verse. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus bore whose sins in his own body? 
your sin, my sin. Why am I a different person? Why why do why is 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 the normal Christian life a change of character, one of love? Why is it one of of freedom? We we hear that a lot, you know. Christ will set you free. Christ will set you free. Yes, he does. He releases all the shackles of sin that held us captive, that made us who we are, sinners. Listen, we we sin because we're sinners. And Christ himself bore your sins in his body on the tree. In other words, he became responsible, he became guilty for you. Because of your sin and my sin. Everything I ever did wrong in my life, and boy, I can tell you, there's things I did wrong. I didn't respect my parents at times, although I was a good kid, but I didn't give them their due. I've stolen, like all of you have. I'm a male. I've committed adultery, like all of you males have. I've bore false witness against my neighbor, like all of you had. I've desecrated him, as all of you had, and yet he took all of that, all of the offenses, remember Psalm 69, all of them, and he bore, and he became responsible as if he did it. I want to talk to the people that might be listening about if they're, if they're sitting there and they're looking at at things on the internet or they're or they're committing adultery or whatever. Do you realize that you have claimed to be a Christian that Christ took that on the cross and became guilty for that which you're doing right now? This is what Peter means. He himself bore our sins in his own body. When I come into the world, I say, Thy will, Lord, what I do, Thou hast prepared a body for me. But it goes on to say that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Whose stripes you were healed. We've died to sins. Some of us don't know our position. Read Romans chapter 6. We died with Christ. Christ took the punishment and became guilty for your sin, and we died in him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He is the God of the living, not the dead. We rose with him. 
Having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. We've died to that, that way of life that was contrary to life itself. Do you know that? Think about that. We were living for Christ. You were living in death. You were living a life that was decayed in death. Now that we've raised with Christ, we are living life in life. Life in death leads to death. Living life in life leads to life. And that's what he's talking about here. He says in verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you have the King James Version, you say bishop of your souls, same thing. Bishop is an overseer. This is returning, O lukewarm one. One who is living their life in sin, who claims to be a Christian. One, you may be a Christian, but you're living your life in sin. You're bringing disgrace to the master. People are looking upon you and, and raising their, their, their noses up at you because this is a Christian? What if that was the only person's opportunity to see Christ? What would they see in you? If you're, if you're going astray, if you're a sheep going astray, biblical Christianity states by doing these principles, by understanding this, we're returning to our true shepherd. We're returning to the one who died and came, became responsible for me. I sinned against my own earthly father in certain things. He's gone now, and, and the, even the thought of it pains me. But I sinned against my heavenly father my whole life before Christ. And Jesus became responsible and guilty for me. And he paid the price for me. How I wish I could go back to my earthly father and say, Dad, I am so sorry for the things that I've done that has caused you grief. But not so with our heavenly father. Brethren, right now, we can be sure that he is pleased with you and I. That we don't have to become before him guilty and, and, and abrasively because Christ became that guilt. And he, he took responsibility in the payment for our sin. And I can come to my father and say, Father, I love you. That's the whole idea of 1 John 1.9. John is talking about Christians here. We don't have to walk as religious fanatics. We don't have to walk as those who honor Christ through lips and the far, heart is far from them. We need to understand that Christ took your sin, your sin, all of it, upon himself and he became guilty on your behalf and he took it far away 
and his death. And he rose three days later from the dead, or as it is literally from among the dead. No wonder he came out of the tomb and he said, Oh joy! Because now, through Christ, I've made it right with my Heavenly Father. Because of Christ, I now love the one who created me. And the one who has forgiven all my wrongs. One who holds nothing against me. Whether I die tonight or 10, 15, 20 years from now, I know that when I see my Creator, I will do nothing but serve Him and worship Him for all eternity because my sin has been forgiven. Your sin has been forgiven. On the basis of what we've learned to learn this morning, I think there are some that need, like Tom, who has openly confessed He's not only his need for Christ, but his love for Christ. Because when we do, we're never the same again. We want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, it's God's will, and I'll close with this, God's will for our life, we can be sure of this, is to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. That's the will for every man and child. I want to do the will of my Father and I have. And it's been solely by His grace. I've been saved through faith and that not of myself. It is a gift of God. I can't boast. But it's also His will that they would, we would walk this earth being controlled by His Spirit, doing those things that please Him, that we walk in love, that we would allow Him, how painful ever it might be, to get rid of those things that don't belong, to get rid of those sins that so hinder us from running the race that's set before us. I know now we see in a glass dimly, or in a mirror dimly, but when we see Him, we'll see Him face to face, so we'll become like Him. We'll see Him as He is. And I tell you on the authority of the Word of God, that if you stop right now and submit everything that you have to Christ, you will eliminate an eternity of regret, of realizing that now are the times that we need to make that decision, folks. Not on your deathbed. Not on when you know life's short. The time to make your decision to follow Christ and follow Him fully is now. Not later. Now. 
And Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the love that knows no bounds. That there's no sin that we could commit that would keep you from us. Father, even those that are listening out there, they say, well, I, I, you, have, you don't know, I've done too much. I, you don't know what I've done. I've killed people. I've raped. I've slandered people. I've treated people like trash. I've robbed from my father and my mother. In fact, I don't even care about my father and my mother. What do you mean, Christ paid the price for me? Yes. He took our sins and bore them in his body on the tree. That produces life. He's offering life. Forgiveness of sins, everlasting life with him, no condemnation. If we would just bow in submission to him, humble ourselves, turn from our sin and turn to the Savior who again bore our sins in his body on the cross. I pray that we would just realize that today can be a new day, a new beginning. For those of us that have abided and walked and enjoyed the fellowship that Christ offers moment by moment, praise the Lord. That's the remnant that God is so eagerly seeking. Peter says that the the judgment must begin in the household of God first. He's cleansing his bride. He's getting us ready. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts to be submissive. That we would walk with you blamelessly. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the people here. So appreciate your tenderness. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Two thousand years ago in Bethlehem, you know the Orthodox. A lot of the Orthodox Jews now are still looking for the Messiah. He's come. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away and gone this from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Wow. And that's what's happening today. Israel's being regathered into the land. We see uh, alliances with, with uh, nations we've never seen before happening today. We see the capability of global war like we've never seen, like today, on and on. The scriptures are being fulfilled. Father, I thank you for this evening and the study we've had. I pray that the richness of your word would, would just uh, go down in the fiber of our being. And Lord, that we would look at the world through the, the lens 
of Scripture through your eyes, that we look at our life through Scripture, and we see how our life is a blessing. But yet we can lay in those promises, contented and restful, knowing that we are kept by a God who does not commit abortion. He does not put on probation. What he says, he will do. And Father, I pray that you would keep the foundation of life solid, strong, and we would stand on the word and the word alone, anticipating your return. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ, are you sure right now that your sins are forgiven? Are you assured that you will not face the judgment of God and be banished forever to a place called hell, which is from the presence and the glory away from the presence of God Himself in torment? Are we sure? Because if you're not, you can't rest completely and fully. You still have fear. And the Bible says a perfect love casts out fear. Because my judgment was heaped upon Christ. You know, he'll wear, he'll wear the scars for all eternity of suffering. We need to be sure of this salvation. I think there's some listening that need to know that that might have been going to church for a long time, that might have thought they knew their Bible, that might have, you know, but they never were really sure. You can be sure now that you are a sinner. We all are. The only difference between me and somebody that's dead in their sin is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am alive because Christ lives in me. I have a future. I have a hope. I know that my sins are forgiven, that, when, that whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord's. I know that when I, get, when I die and I stand before Him, I am not going to be condemned for my sinful condition. I know that when I stand before Him, I will be welcomed because He is my Savior and my Lord, and He longs for me to be with Him. If you cannot be assured of this in your own life, you need to repent, which means to come to Christ and turn your life around and face Him as your Savior. Face Him as the one who has taken all the punishment for your sin. He has answered for every awful sin you could ever do. He's answered for it. He was judged for it. He died for it. And He rose again a new creation. And Peter said, that's our living hope. Because Christ rose from the dead. And He's coming back. And Father, I thank You for the Word this morning. And Lord, I just ask that, that those that, that are listening uh, by the internet or what have you, the Lord, that they would, would say, in effect, God, I have sinned. 
I have not given you a second thought. I have not given you your due. And I have sinned. I have gone my own way. I have done my own thing. Not giving a... Not giving a hoot about the things that that were important to you. That I didn't give honor and homage to the one who created me. That I didn't give you a second thought. But Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. Now I turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for my sins upon the cross. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. And he bids me to follow him, and I place my trust in him. And that I would know that I have a hope today, tomorrow, and the next day, because Christ rose from the dead. And God, I know that by that happening, that you showed me that my sins are gone if I put my trust in Christ. And I receive that gift of eternal life and forgiveness now. And as Jesus died on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died for me so that I won't have to suffer separation from you, God, forever. I want to be born again. Ask him into your heart and your life as your savior from sin. And that's exactly what he will give you is a new life and forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray this be the plight of us all. That we'd understand your word and that we would rejoice in it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.